welcome back and thanks for tuning in to Oil & Gas Onshore, where I am on a relentless pursuit to bring value, unity, and information to the energy industry one conversation at a time. So sit back, relax, and remember that even this very device you're listening on requires some form of hydrocarbon. Hey everybody, I want to take a quick minute to tell you something that I'm really excited about. I've recently teamed up with Hitched Inc., one of the biggest and fastest growing tech startups in oil and gas. You've probably seen them all over LinkedIn. From generators to light towers, pumps to forklifts, use Hitch to pair your company with reliable rental suppliers and eliminate the hassle of logistics through the use of an in-app platform. Hit me up on LinkedIn if you'd like to schedule a demo. Welcome to this week's episode. I'm here at the Canon with Jim Pazos, drilling and completions fluid engineer who actually just finished a hitch. It was, it was about a month, right? That yes, you were out in the six field? weeks. Six weeks. So, you know, are you like most mud engineers out there where you'll take a few days off and then you're back for another long hitch? Or how long are you planning on being off for? I'm scheduled to be out for the next 12 days, but I'm the kind of person that likes to work as much as I can. So if anything comes up, I'm... You're always available. Of, yeah. yeah, good for you. And you're out in West Texas, right? Right. Yeah. The heart of the oil field right now. Yeah, about 100 miles to the west of Midland. Okay, nice. That's awesome. Well, before we get going, I just want to take a quick break. If you'd like to support the show, please subscribe and do me a huge favor and take a few minutes and leave a review on whatever platform you're listening to. Any feedback is welcome and appreciated. I've had plenty of folks reach out simply asking questions or giving recommendations on people that they think would be good for a show. So I love the correspondence. Any communication that you, you know, you've wanted, you know, deal with me out there, please, I'd love to hear it. And yeah, just appreciate all the support and people reaching out and continuously giving me good feedback. So Jim, you hit me up actually after I posted on LinkedIn that I wanted to host a debate and you responded to me and said, if I ever wanted to host a tree hugging oil field worker to let you know, and here we are. Yeah, thank you. Yeah. So how would you describe a tree hugging oil field worker? Like, what does that mean? To well, you? I'm an environmentalist. I'm a hippie at heart, believe it or not. But okay. My mom is, so yeah. I can identify. I have no problems <laughs> about being in the oil field because well, we need oil for manufacturing, for lubrication. Yes, we use it for energy. I'm not exactly supportive of that part, but okay. we need it for other reasons. So I'm going to stop you there. So why is that? When you say you're not in support of that, out of curiosity, um, why would that be? Because I do believe that we are affecting climate change, especially with most forms of energy that was created by using, that creates heat. Okay. Now, that's, they say it's all about emissions. I also think it has something to do with the actual combustion part. Gotcha. So in saying that, is that something that, that you've actually researched and know the science behind? Or is it more on like a moral and ethical stand? Or like how, how did you kind of come about it's, having it's that both. position? I have studied it. Not enough to defend it properly. And that's okay. I do follow my intuition and my intuition says that so. Sure. And I do believe the data is out there that shows that we are affecting climate change mm-hmm. and it does go hand in hand with data on emissions. I do think reusable energy is the way to go. We're always going to need oil for manufacturing, lubricants, pharmaceuticals, I mean, right. plastics, you name it. Yeah. But I think we should get away from the energy part of it. We could use other forms to create energy. Fair enough. Fair enough. So we were just talking about this, but you're actually pretty active on LinkedIn. And one thing that I commend you for is actually you're always willing to help and teach people. You've got a number of forums on LinkedIn, you know, related to drilling fluids, right? Yes. Yeah. So how did you start getting into that? And why do you feel necessary to be able to give back and help people? Well, I've always liked helping people. It's a good feeling, you know, when somebody reaches out back to you and all of a sudden tells you about how their life has changed because of things you've done, you know, you're making a difference in the world. Yeah. When you see you helping people in open forums and other people start helping more because they see that, or when 
sometimes somebody will be asking a question and they're getting ridiculed in open forum and you go up to defend them and then you see other people start defending them. I remember there was one group called the Drilling Fluid Engineers. And when I got in it, it had about a thousand. Now it has like 16 or 18,000 people. Wow. But people used to really, really ridicule people on questions that would seem kind of basic. Yeah. And I used to get up there and start defending them. And as I was doing that, finally more people started doing the same thing. And then finally the people that were the ones that were the majority, which was being antagonistic towards them, now became the minority. Mm-hmm. You know, and so you, you can change the attitudes, you can change people's, how they deal with other people, you know? Yeah. You can make a difference in the world just by, you know, it's a butterfly effect. It is, most definitely. So how long have you been on LinkedIn for? Do you, do you know? I don't know. I would say a good decade. Wow. Okay. Yeah. So because it's been around for a while and it, and it originally started basically as like a job posting forum where you'd go on there looking for jobs and and it's evolved now i almost like kind of reference it to what facebook was in 2011 but more on a professional level you've even written some articles right yes i have do you mind kind of sharing some of those or what kind of topics you covered quite a few of them are technical data on drilling fluids things about rheometers Mm -hmm. one thing was about the drilling in in utah there's a paraffin that's a contaminant for oil-based muds and came up with something that that actually works to to treat out the harmful effects it doesn't treat it out it just cancels out the harmful effects okay but i've also written some articles as far as uh, helping people how to find work Um, one article about telling them not to type i'm interested on on when people are posting for jobs yeah i kind of brushed through a lot of those you know and i read the most recent one that i want to talk about here in a minute but yeah i noticed that you probably have i don't know maybe a dozen or more just technical topics which is interesting because a lot of you know what we see on there is like motivational stuff and and you know some of the how-to stuff but when it comes to like really specific items it's, it's hard to find and so it's interesting that you've taken that upon yourself to write some of this stuff to help share information and help you know other drilling fluid engineers you know it's also funny you mentioned there's a lot of folks that that'll reach out to myself and say hey i'm a new graduate you know what do you suggest what do you recommend for getting into the oil field and so yeah like do you mind kind of sharing or describe the the article that you wrote like you said you know in the title you know seeking new employment or something do you mind kind of sharing what you learned and and what you wrote about well on one i've uh, described a way how to help people find look that are looking for work and Mm -hmm. uh, going to the get into technical discussions even if you don't know much just being participant shows that you're active you know trying to build your connections and not just you know any connections but ones specifically related to the field you're trying to get into because if you're a company is looking at two different people they might see one with 500 connections or you know or more that's all within that field mm-hmm. and somebody with maybe 25 connections well the one with 500 is going to actually be more attractive because if you have problems you have a network that you can reach out to to help you out with those things. Yeah. Things like that help you out, you know, and about going into conferences, just being a participant in our industry. Right. It can help you get jobs and networking in a good way. Yeah. Networking right now, especially more, I mean, it's always been important, but now the availability of being able to reach out to so many different people on so many different levels through LinkedIn is extremely powerful. I mean, that's how we met. And yeah. it's it's a lot of how I've met other folks that, I've either had on the podcast or or folks that I've been able to help, you know, and vice versa. So, you know, I commend you for spending time on there. And and again, writing articles, creating forums, helping other mud engineers. You know, it's important that we have a space that we can go in there even with humility and ask silly questions. Like you said, you know, you've talked to folks who have plenty of years experience and maybe certain things that they should know or we would assume that they know 
can go on there and ask simple questions without being ridiculed. And, and they may get a little bit, but at least there's folks like yourself out there willing to to answer dumb questions because sometimes there are dumb questions. But at the end of the day, everyone has dumb questions, but, you know, everyone has too much of an ego to actually ask them. Yeah. <laughs> Any expert will still have things wrong. You know, I mean, there's things I don't know. There's things I might think I know that I'm, that I'm wrong about that I just don't realize. Exactly. So, you know, we all need help. Right. And, you know, I look at drilling fluid engineering as... You're the one safeguarding everybody from dying. You know, you're protecting the people, you're protecting the the property, the environment, you know, because the BOP sacks, the blowout preventers, mm -hmm. that's one of the last lines of defense. You know, their main defense is that fluid column, the of hydrostatic course. weight of it. You know, yep. so I take the job really seriously. Of more course. seriously, I think, than a lot of guys do. You know, it's yep. to me, you're the steward, you're the one protecting everybody's life. Yeah. No, that's a good point. It's funny because, you know, if you look at any whether it's if you Google it or even on some mud manuals, they'll show, you know, the, the most important aspects of drilling fluid that, you know, to cool the bit and yeah. clean the hole. And, but everyone forgets all that doesn't matter is long, you know, hydrostatic pressure and well control is the primary focus in drilling fluid. No, if you do this, the math, I mean, just regular fresh water on a 10,000 foot column in a, you know, 12 and a quarter inch hole, you're like talking about over 200,000 pounds of pressure it's holding back. Yeah. You know, it's, it's, those blowout preventers are 5,000, maybe 10,000 pounds instead of the holdback. So, yeah, no, it's extremely important. So, kind of going back to what we were talking about before, you know, like you said, you're a hippie at heart. Why don't you tell us a little bit, you know, where you're from and, and how you ended up getting in the oil field, you know, and how you kind of married the two together? Because it's, it's uncommon to have sort of your mindset, well, which is interesting. For some reasons, since I was about three, I've always been interested in oil. I always knew I was going to be on the that path professionally. Okay. I was going to school. I actually wanted to be a commodity broker specializing in the energy market. Huh. I was going to Tulane. I ran out of money and started in the oil field. And I thought, well, that's great. I can get some real firsthand experience to go along with what I wanted to do. And I started working on production platform. Oh, okay. Anyway, I ended up buying a house. So I ended up owing more money. So I never went back to school. But, yeah. <laughs> you know, even when I'm working then, I took my job seriously. We're like, I'm protecting the environment and making sure that we stay up to spec on certain things. There were times when I was asked to do something that was not environmentally friendly, and I would refuse and say, "No, you get me out of here." You're, you know, if I know, I'm gonna, I'm gonna rat you out. You know, yeah, like, we're yeah. not doing that, right? You know, yeah, yeah. So you know, I took my job as, yeah, we're protecting the environment. It's like, you know, you're following the standards, making sure they're kept. You know, and and I'm not saying, oh, okay, well, it's just a little leak or whatever. You know, yeah, yeah. And then how old were you when you got into drilling fluids? See, it was January 2nd, 1997 when I got into it. So 28, 29? Sure. 28, 28. I got you. And so having the stance that you have, you know, you're very pro-environmental and stuff like that. What kind of challenge have you experienced, you know, just dealing with people who are maybe, you know, have very opposing views such as yourself? How have you navigated that? Well, I've always found that drilling a well is not a problem. Anything that happens... There's a way to fix it. There's mm -hmm. a way to deal with it. The only true problems in the oil field are people. Mm -hmm. <laughs> that's the one thing that's, you know, the BP accident that was caused by people. It wasn't because of the cement job being bad. It was the people. Right. It wasn't the mud engineers who didn't realize that they were getting back more displacement than they should have. Right. It wasn't that. It was the people. They could have stopped it. Yeah. It's always about the people. Hmm. Everybody's different. So you have to figure out the way they're thinking and a way to reach them on the right level. Right. And sometimes it doesn't happen, or at least... Sometimes you can't figure it out, but you should do the best to try. I got you. On a rig, I mean, I've been there. You know, things that people are never supposed to talk about, politics, religion, sex, 
it's pretty common on a rig to talk about it. Well, yeah, so how you're, do you get trapped up there? <laughs> yeah, exactly. So have you ever had like any issues with certain people that would really have a, such a strong stance that like maybe ran you off or gave you a really hard time? Or have you really been able to get along with everybody out there? I'm a vegetarian for the last 16 years. Okay. And if you can imagine what that's like being on a rig, yeah. you get, I get a hard time. Sure. No kidding. <laughs> uh, the politics I get a hard time for, but you've got to learn just how to roll with it and how to, you know, explain. If you're comfortable with your point of view, it doesn't really matter what people say. It doesn't matter if everyone else is against you. If you believe in yourself and you and you can defend your own reasonings. Yeah. You know? Yeah. And I'm the kind of person who I don't mind a little bit of, you know, poking fingers at each other out there because yeah, it's good. If you can't handle it, you shouldn't be out there. Of course. No, and you're exactly right. Interesting you just spoke about vegetarian. I have a customer, a drilling engineer, him and his wife watched the documentary Game Changers, and it's all about, you know, vegans and sort of a lot of the science supporting why people can still thrive off being vegetarian. What made you go vegetarian? Well, I'm from New Orleans, so I mostly eat meat and seafood my whole life. Um, of course. <laughs> I, I'd rarely give up anything for Lent, but this one time I was going to an offshore rig, and I decided to give up everything with a face. Okay. And <laughs> That's a good way to put it. <laughs> I didn't think I'd even make it to 40 days, but... I did, and the results were just tremendous. Okay. And there's, Share some of the results that you experienced. Well, with first, mentally, my mind felt clearer. Okay. It, which is, it's hard to describe, but it's true. Okay. Then after about a month, I started physically feeling better. Okay. And then about within about a half a year later, I actually could feel a difference in my soul. I'm not trying to get religious, but... No, speak your mind. This there, is there a totally was, open yeah, platform. There was no question that it was a definite feeling change in my soul, if that makes any sense. Okay. Huh. And do you have any way to describe what it felt like before versus after? I can tell you it felt better after. So I could say it just, yeah. it's. Are you spiritual? Yes. Yes. Okay. Uh, I don't say I believe in God. I know there's God. We each have our own view. You know, if you, if you believe it or not, I have a certain relationship, let's say with God, you know. Okay. <laughs> and what does that look like? Being a good person, trying to make the world a better place. Okay. And so what are some of the things that, that you feel that you're able to do to kind of support that? Well, with, on LinkedIn, one of the groups I manage is called Drilling Fluid Engineer Market. Mm -hmm. And we I post jobs that I find all over the place and I repost them within there for people to get jobs. And by helping people get work or get a better employment job, mm -hmm. that's a you know, $100,000 a year job, let's say. That, well, that's not only affecting them, it's affecting their family and their, and their community of friends. Yeah. Those make a difference. And when people are affected by this, by you going out your way to help them, you know, or, you know, and sometimes it's more than just reposting them. I'm, I'm going further into details, you know, behind the scenes right. with these people. And when you're making these changes in people and you're spending your time doing this just for other people's benefit, you're gaining nothing monetarily or or physically yeah you know they recognize that and it affects them too right helping others is the greatest currency yeah. i mean it's the most rewarding and gratifying feeling in the world and you know i always say you know give more than you take and karma plays its toll it whether you like it or not and whether you believe in it or not but it's interesting and, and i've heard a lot of people reference you know giving selflessly is doing god's work and so Certainly, you know, I can understand that's, that's, wh where you're coming from yeah. on that, for sure. And then on the technical side, when I'm helping people become better mud engineers, you know, you don't know what good that's going to do, but you could actually be saving people's lives because if they didn't know this, they might have ended up, you know, getting the place blown up, you yeah. know, or, you know, it's, it's hard to say what you've done, how it affected on a good way, but 
it's not unfathomable to think of all the bad things that could have happened by you not doing that. Right. You know? Yeah. So, no, so it, for all you know, the world is, could be a much, much better place already for the things you do. Yeah. Yeah. No, you're exactly right. I wanted to touch on culture a little bit. And the reason for that is, you know, I was actually having drinks yesterday with a buddy of mine who's on the midstream side of things. And he spends a lot of time in upstate New York and different areas where their company's mainly focused on gas. And he says, you know, even over the last three or four years, going to different places, interacting with whether it's, you know, restaurant bartenders or just people within the ecosystem of those areas, as soon as they have any inclination that he's in oil and gas, there's a serious negative connotation towards it. And and he was actually asked to leave an establishment once the manager found out that he was in oil and gas. And so I say that to say it seems like, and and you see a lot more now, a lot of people protesting, you know, you've got the Green New Deal, that that was a big buzz for a while. There seems to be a massive push on zero carbon, zero fracking. Is that something that you see shifting? Is there more conversation on the field level about that kind of stuff? Or or have you noticed more of that from Uh, your standpoint? From my standpoint... What I was seeing a lot is, if you made any comments that were not pro-drilling, period, you were seen as being part of the enemy mm. for a long time. And I just recently made an article, written an article, Environmentalism versus Drilling. I read that. Because I was sick of knowing you know, that if I would see n- practically nothing from anybody in the oil field supportive of the reusables, as right. far as, you know, or saying anything anti-oil using, being used for energy. Mm-hmm. You were instantly, your stigma was put on you. Right. And I just finally had to write something that hopefully would get some support, at least let other people know that have the same feeling that you're not alone. Yes. And that's one thing I'm trying to, you know, I didn't see enough of them trying to start a little more of a movement saying it's okay to be an environmentalist and in the oil field. Right. You know, and maybe if more of us said that, there would not be as much of a conflict. You know, then you could get just a group that's pro drilling no matter what, you know. Yeah. Hell or high water, we're going to you know, produce and use use oil for everything, and you know nothing's going to stop us, right? You know, or more of the let's see my point of view of West. We need oil. We'll always need oil, but we also need to find alternatives as far as fuel sources. Gotcha. You know, uh, cleaner ways, less harmful to the environment. Sure. You know. So when you say harmful to the environment, are you referencing? You know, drilling, drilling additives, fracking, I'm, fracking additives, no, no, I'm, or is I'm, it kind I'm of I'm talking just... about emissions, emissions caused after the fact, not from the upstream side, but from, I got you. from the actual production of energy. Okay. From turning the turbines. Okay. So are you familiar enough of, of like what that process looks like when you say turning the turbines? Is it like what is exactly being emitted to harm the well, environment, if you will? Well, quite a few energy plants, it involves basically creating a steam they're turning a magnet around a coil, basically, okay. to create the energy. Right. Are, are you familiar with it enough? No, that's why I'm asking, because I'm genuinely curious. Yeah, I don't know. On a generator, what you're doing is you're, you're taking a magnet around a coil and moving it, and that's the more you're going it around, the more energy you're creating. Okay. And to move this requires energy. You don't see that, let's say, on dams, on hydropower okay. dams, because they're using that force of the energy to, to spin these, to make the turbines go, to, to create the energy. Okay. Now, when you see with... with but a lot of energy plants, and you see that smoke coming up, it's because they're having to make steam to do it. Okay. That's the same thing with a nuclear power plant. A nuclear power plants create is, is these radioactive rods that are creating steam that's turning. It's the same thing. It's, just, it's either with steam or 
force that's causing these to get your magnet around these coils. I got you. So is the the harmful part is the steam that's being the em- into there? Well, or? it's the emissions caused by the burning of, of oil and gas, and I can't prove it on a technical level. Sure. But I think the heat emissions has little something to do with it, but I'll stay with what common science says, because if not uh, many people, you know, if you find one thing wrong, then everything else is wrong in your argument. Yeah. You know, so I'm <laughs> not going <laughs> I'm not going to defend that part right now. I'll just go along with the, yeah. the, well, the emissions we know with the industrial revolution, we are creating more emissions and those seem to go head in hand with climate change by climate change. I mean, global warming. Okay. Gotcha. You know, I mean, there's plenty of data showing basically from the start of the industrial revolution, they could see it on the chart and it goes almost hand in hand with not only glacial, glacial retreat, but also with the warming. Right, right. Are you familiar with like a lot of the companies going like zero flaring or sort of what is it, was it zero flaring? My buddy yesterday was telling me that his CEO made a mandate that they would be doing zero flaring. I want to say it was flaring. I'm starting. I'm it could of, be. I think certain states are thinking about going that way. Yeah. And in certain companies. But anyway, I know that seems to be an issue. But on the rig site, are you seeing any changes to things? Because I know drilling doesn't really, aside from maybe, you know, throwing diesel-based mud on the ground or, you know, certain things, like we really don't have much of an impact on that. But are there even things like with motors or generators or anything that's happening on the drilling the side that you're aware of? The only thing that I've seen since I've been full-time in the oil field since 1990, offshore, you used to have trash baskets that they would pick up and light on fire and hang off to the side of the facility yeah. and at night you'd see all these you know fires they would just burn it on. off yeah yeah and you know, you just take all your trash and burn it they stopped doing that that's the only thing that really comes to mind yeah no problem on the drilling side yeah but that was drilling and production i got you no that makes sense i mean it was, it was, it was actually pretty <laughs> yeah <laughs> right it like big lanterns yeah it was yeah no kidding um on foggy nights it was really really nice i bet huh so how do you suppose we as an industry can help educate folks that are unfamiliar with what we do as an industry and how hydrocarbons are actually the backbone of most products that we use in our day-to-day lives? Well, I think one of the things we have to do is too many of the people that are defending the industry defend it entirely, you know, just try to shoot the other person down. You can be on both sides and, you know, if you're not the enemy of the other side, it's a lot easier to get things done once, you know. Like fracking. I don't have a problem with fracking at all. I think most of the bad news that came out of uh, Oklahoma, that was actually because of the disposal wells. They were overcharging the disposal wells. They've got plenty of data that shows that, mm. that that's what was, you know, yes, they were doing a lot of fracking, and but they were, fracking also means you have more things to dispose of. They were not properly running the disposal wells right. So that was actually causing those earthquakes that they were getting. Gotcha. You hmm. know, there's, I'm sure there's probably some cases where fracking shouldn't be done. But overall, it's a good thing. Right. So you're not on the stance of, you know, like zero fracking and... Well, it's still got to be case by case, you know. It just depends on on the area. There's been cases where the science wasn't done right, where fracking did cause harm to water tables. You have to make sure your cement program's right. You have to make sure you you have enough distance. But if you do it properly, it's fine. I got you. I would like to know more about... There's a methane fracking that they're doing where they're pumping methane rather than all the fluids and that seems to have really good results i think that might be a good way to go interesting great great returns on that okay where is that happening is it here in the u.s i know they've done some in the u.s i think in north dakota they did some i'm not really on the fracking side sure from what i've read it seems to be has good potential okay no interesting that's the first time i've heard of it i'll have to look into that one. Oh, not methane i'm sorry propane propane okay my bad yeah no no worries no worries i had the ain right yeah (laughs) exactly half of it 
Do you see light at the end of the tunnel for oil and gas companies to come out on the other end and actually be good stewards of, not to say we're not, but in the public eye? They'll have no choice, the way I see it. Uh, I think climate change is a reality. I think it's a losing battle to be on the side of just, you know, of not changing certain ways. Right. I think one of the ways that they should go towards is going more towards reusables. And of course, companies like Exxon and Shell, they're they are doing that right now. Yeah, they're investing but heavily into doing that. I think it's either going to be done mandated from the top down from a government level, or, mm-hmm. you know, we need to work towards that much quicker, much sooner, because not having that stance is actually risking the entire industry because of the, sometimes the public backlash is saying, oh yeah, all of oil drilling is bad. It's, but yeah. it's not really true. But now you're, you've made it to the point where you're, you've become such an enemy of the other side You've got to make a good dialogue mm. and you can't have it by throwing fake things, you know, fake information around. You have to you know, all these people that come out against the environmentalists. Well, at least they're trying to do good. Don't be mad at them for trying to do good. Just try to get them to understand the other some of the other points of it. That's a very good point. And I think a lot of the challenges that we face is is not everyone's intent is good. But not everyone's. <laughs> well, a lot of them, like most human beings don't want to do harm purposefully. I mean at least the ones that I've come across. Now, of course, there's obviously, there's anomalies out there, but I would say on a majority level, most people's intent is to do good and based off their values, their morals, whether their definition of being a good steward of whatever it is, obviously money drives people to doing things that otherwise they wouldn't and then values and morals go out of the window. But what I think a lot of the problem is, is, is we just as an industry don't do a good enough job educating folks on sort of the positive impacts that we make, whether it's, you know, land reclamation, whether it's giving back to communities, trying to help. And then, you know, obviously folks like BP, Shell, a lot of these majors reinvesting a lot of capital and focusing a lot of their energy into renewables and then at least doing the R&D and trying to figure out ways to become energy companies, yeah. not just oil and gas companies. Well, I think that it's important to do that but not say it because yeah. too often if you're saying that you're trying to defend why, you know, you're trying to make an excuses in a sense to, to most people is how they receive it. Okay. It's important to do it. If you're being good, you don't have to defend yourself. You right. know, your actions will speak yeah, you louder say, than words. See, look, you know, I put in $10 million towards the parks and recreations. Well, I mean, that's a good thing you did, but you know, if you're using that to excuse things that you've done negatively, just do good things that are good. Mm. And, let your actions speak for themselves. No, I agree. I mean, I, I think people take it the wrong way when you when you're, you're trying to use your resume of, oh, this is what I've done. Fair yeah, enough. Yeah. yeah, no, and I see your point. I mean, everyone says your actions speak louder than your words, so so don't talk about it, but just be about it, do it, and people will receive that and understand it and know about it. So yeah, no, that makes sense. But more on from an education standpoint. I think people are just misinformed. I think people generally gravitate towards resources that are very partisan. And so for me, I'll read and and look at multiple facets of news. I get information from lots of different places that are, you know, whether it's CNN, Fox, Wall Street Journal, the Washington Post. I mean, everyone has similar facts, but they spin it extremely differently. And so I encourage people you know, to not just grab and, and only have one resource that they gravitate towards yeah, because too it's, many people do in the United States. Yeah. And, and that's a big problem. And right. Yeah. They used to have this law where a news had to present 
both sides of an argument. Mm. I don't know if you know about that. No, yeah, it, it, just explain it if you um, don't mind. I, I've there, never there was heard a law. That. There was a law in effect all the way till I think it was either the eighties or maybe early nineties, where when the news was giving a story, let's say talking about let's say climate change, mm. they would have to give both sides by law. Everything had to be done. They did away with that. Coincidentally, that's when some of the news companies, certain news companies, started to arise. You know, things deviated. Fox News became more popular. I'm not. Yeah, I'm dissing Fox News. I'm sorry. <laughs> sure. It's not that I'm a pro CNN or pro MSNBC. I actually listen to PBS, BBC, France 24, the DW. I try to get a global approach in, on different stations, to try to get the unbiased. I'm not a big fan of Fox simply because, of, well, I know some of their history of who's invested in it. And sure. I was, it's actually owned by uh, News Corp. I don't know if you're. Mm-mm. News Corp is, is, is Murdoch, that guy, the billionaire from. The UK. Okay. I didn't he, know he's that. He's actually, it's, it's his company. His biggest investor is in News Corp is Citicorp. Okay. Citicorp's biggest investor, the Saudi prince. Okay. Wow. And people say, well, that doesn't make sense. Why would it be, it seem a little sometimes anti-Muslim, let's say, or anti-Muslim. Okay. They actually, it benefits them to make them higher tension news. Hmm. The more the worse things look, the more oil goes up. Right. Wow. <laughs> I know that sounds funny, but if you notice... There's not as much negative things they ever have about Saudi. There is some, but not as much as there is about Iran, okay. Saudi's enemy. <laughs> yeah, no, that, that's an interesting perspective, and I have no stance on being able to fact check that. But if what you're saying is true, yeah, I'm sure not a lot of people knew that, and if they did, it, well, I certainly it, haven't. It doesn't. They don't advertise that. <laughs> yeah. yeah, no, no, it's it's interesting. You know, hopefully this allows people to look into it yeah. and and again be informed. Yeah. Like that's all it comes down to is just be informed. And, you know, do your research. Well, I used to work in Venezuela, and I was there when, I can't remember the guy's name, Chavez mm-hmm. was there. And the news here at that time still was all bad about what's going on in Venezuela. But when you go down there, it's a totally different, it was totally not what our news was reporting. Right. You know, it wasn't a dictatorship, and they were like, you know, yeah, yes, but you know, it's a dictatorship. He had won, like, with over 70% of the votes. And you know, Jimmy Carter went down there to, to examine the election. He said it was more of a legitimate election than they had in Florida. You know, people would take off work and travel across the country. They didn't have to, but they wanted to on their own dime just to vote. They mm. were that passionate about it, you know? Wow. You know, a lot of people have misperceptions because of they don't get their news from enough news sources. Sure. Hey, I'm pro-America, but a lot of what we're told is not the way it is in the world. Mm. If you travel around the world, you'll find that there's quite a few things we're third world. You know, travel to some places and they, there's a lot of things better in other places. I hate to say it, it's just the fact. Yeah. Well, now we're number one in military, you know. Yeah, we can bomb the hell out of anyone, but you know, <laughs> yeah, you know, education, healthcare, people are, are very, you know, protect your gun rights. Yeah, but I've traveled to some countries that it's illegal to have guns. You know, I'm, I'm in Kuala Lumpur, Malaysia, city is about the size of Houston, and one thing they noticed after about a week there, I hadn't heard a single gunshot. Yeah, I live in New Orleans. You can't go for more than a couple of days out hearing gunshot in the background. <laughs> I had to sign something from the State Department that said well, I worked in Brunei for a half a year. It's in Southeast Asia. Okay. And I had to sign something from the State Department saying that I understand that the, we recognize that as a dangerous country. I was there a half a year. There was a, one murder in the country, mm. and that was by stabbing. How is that not safe? Right. You know? <laughs> so would you say the violence is more a function of, like, the access to a lot of these harmful, you know, the guns and, and whatever the case may be? Or, like... Taking all that aside, is it more a function of our culture and, and how the U.S. was built? Or like how what would you attribute um, that to? I think it's access to weapons. 
it's the culture. It's also the poor education that we're, we are getting poor and poor. We've been being dummy down for a while and okay. that also affects it. But if you dummy down the population, you're easier to control. Sure. Everybody recognizes that there's more hostility within the country and people on, you know, on opposing sides. That also adds to it. Yeah. By not having the dialogue that you have, you, you have people on opposite sides, but they're able to have intelligent conversations. Here, it's like, if you start losing an argument, you start insulting people. Right. And hopefully that, you know, it's not that way in, in other most, I'm not saying 100%, but it's a lot less. You can have very good dialogue in other places. Yeah. You know? Yeah. No, um, and obviously you've experienced that. And one of the things I found that when you go to these other countries, a lot of times you have to first convince them you're not like every other American because they are a little standoffish because they think you're going to be crazy. Yeah. You know? <laughs> I mean, no, because a lot of Americans set a bad precedent because they'll go to another country and they'll start talking about how much whatever is better in the United States. Hmm. Well, you don't go to your friend's house and say how much better your television is than theirs. Sure. Or, oh, you, my kitchen's twice the size of yours. You don't do that. That's insulting. But people go to all these other countries. I run across it quite a bit where you have to reconvince them that you're not like some, that what they've experienced in, in the, from American tourists, you know, hmm. where, you know. They've just bad mouthed you, you know? <laughs> yeah. Right, right. That makes a good point. And, and I'm sure some of the listeners out there, and, and I encourage anyone out there who either disagrees or, or has any questions, yeah. that's why I wanted to bring you on is to be able to have, you know, really get your stance and, and sort of input on things and, you know, just to create conversation. Well, yeah, I'm not saying I'm 100% right. And you know, sure. I'm just giving you my experiences. Yeah, no. And, and that's exactly was the whole intent with this. You know, we're getting close to about 45 minutes here, but I wanted to ask you a few things more you know, not related to those topics, but do you have any daily habits or routines that keep you focused and motivated, especially being out, you know, at the rig for, like you said, you know, four or six weeks at a time? Do you have any sort of routines that you kind of stick to? Well, each rig is different depending on what the client wants, when the times they want the reports, whatever. Mm -hmm. You have to have time scheduled for that, for allowing for the, the lab testing that you do. Right. And then, of course, of anything else going on around the rig. Now, during the times between one of the things I do to keep my mind on it is I'm pretty active on LinkedIn, mm -hmm. particularly in the energy. I try to stay mostly on the mud topics. Yeah. It keeps your mind going on the mud. And the more you're thinking about it, the better you are at it. Yeah. The more you think about other things within your mud, your mud it's easier to stay focused. Sure. You okay. know, I try to avoid thinking about home too much because if you think about <laughs> home too much, your hitch is a lot longer. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah it is. No kidding. No kidding. You've mentioned quite a few of them, but other than the stuff that you've told me, is there anything else about you that not many people know about through interactions, whether it be LinkedIn or things of that nature? Is there, you know, maybe on your days off, do you have any you know, unique hobbies or anything sort of out of norm? Not really. I love to catch up on sleep. Yeah. I, I love looking <laughs> I at the stars at night. Okay. You know, to me on a clear night, looking at the stars, I'm closer to God there than I am in any church. Yeah. To me, you know. Wow. Interesting. clear. I'm into astronomy. Yeah. Okay. No, not too much. Yeah, no. <laughs> I'm pretty, I have no life. Star, hey, that's fine. <laughs> Stargazing is cool. I mean, I think most people, if they would take a few minutes out of their busy days to just kind of stare at the stars and yeah, hey, maybe it'd be a breath of fresh air. Who knows? What's one message that you'd like to give to all the listeners out there? Try to do good, help others. You know, think of the world as if you were never here in the first place, how would the world be compared with you being here? Have you made the world a better place by that you're here? Yeah, we all do things that cause certain bad things. Are you doing more good by the fact that you're here than if you were never here at all? Try to live up to that standard at the very least, and you're making a difference. Very cool. No, I love it. Good answer. 
Well, look, before we take off here, I would like to take a moment to tell everyone about some of our upcoming Oilfield events. Hey, everybody. Alex here with the events on deck for the next month. We have some exciting things coming up, two happy hours, one in Pittsburgh and one in Denver. So the first one will be happening on March 22nd at Bubba's Gourmet Burgers and Beer. This event will be from 4 to 7 and will feature a live recording of Oil & Gas This Week with Jake Corley and Mark LaCour. So be sure to check that out. You can sign up via our social medias. We have an Eventbrite sign up and should be good to go from there. The next event will be a happy hour in Denver at Liberty Oilfield Services on April 2nd. Once again, check our social medias for the Eventbrite sign up and sign up there. As some of our social media followers may know, we are headed to Aberdeen, Scotland the first week of March, in a couple days actually, for DokeruCon, creating high-impact sales and energy. Dokeru is excited to launch its very first sales development conference, and OGGN's Mark and Patrick will be hosting a panel and recording a live podcast, so we're really excited to be joining that. The Leaders in Industry Luncheon is on March 11th at the Petroleum Club of Houston, Port of the Future is happening on March 10th and 11th in Houston. Your registration to the Port of the Future conference also allows you access to exclusive events, including TSA Security and Terrorism, Research Showcase, and many more. So be sure to view the agenda and see what they are offering. The Houston Energy Breakfast will be on March 20th at the Norris Conference Center in Houston. The API Energy Houston 3-Gun Chapter will be on March 20th. This event is filling up very quickly, so make sure to get a team in as soon as possible. The BP Energy Outlook 2020 Edition will be on April 21st. It's happening online, and this event is about transitions that will take place to a low-carbon energy system. That's all for this month, everybody. Hope you guys have a good month and check back in next month to see what events we're having. Thanks. Awesome. Thank you. And anyone out there in the Houston area interested in playing oil field hockey, come join the Hack and Whack crew for some old timer hockey. We do it every two weeks at Memorial City Mall Ice Rink. Hit me up on LinkedIn for more details. And if you're looking to get in shape over the winter and into spring, visit KTX Fit in Katy, Texas and get a free trial by telling one of the coaches that I sent you. Jim, thanks again for joining me today. I'm sure this is a rhetorical question, but what's the best way for people to reach out to you to get to know you or to ask questions or simply just hear more about what you have to say? Send me a contact on LinkedIn. My name is Jim Pazos, P-A-Z-O-S, and uh, thank you for having me on. Perfect. I appreciate appreciate the conversation, and I'll put your LinkedIn link in the show notes. That way people can just click it and view your profile. And with that being said, always remember when the density's up and the gas is down, open the choke. Let's go to town. Thanks, Jim. Thanks again for listening. Tune in next week for another episode of Oil & Gas Onshore, a production of Oil & Gas Global Network. For more information, visit OGGN.com.